Well, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open them to the New Testament uh, book of John. Uh, we're going to be in John 1 this morning. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, if you want to go ahead and turn, we're going to start at the very beginning. John 1 is where we're going uh, to be uh, this morning. Well, we are in the season of Advent, which means uh, just a couple weeks until Christmas, and uh, which uh, I know for many of you, you've been looking forward to this season for a long time. Uh, many of you uh, really get into uh, the decorations. Uh, some of you get into the baking. Some of you get into the shopping. Um, some of you uh, get into uh, buying presents. Some of you get into wrapping presents. Uh, some of you get into, uh, I don't know, Christmas sweaters. Some of you get into all the, the goods and the things that go on leading up to Christmas. Um, for the record, uh, I'm about as bah humbug as it gets uh, when it comes to Christmas. Uh, in fact, I turn off the radio because uh, I can't stand to listen to all the Christmas music uh, leading up to. So yeah, I got a couple of you out there who are resonating with me. So Christmas Eve, I'll turn the radio back on. Until then, I just, I just, it's, it's just too much for me. Uh, and I can't stand going into stores around Labor Day weekend and they got, you know, Christmas decorations up and all that. And um, it's just, I know you're probably thinking, he's a pastor and he doesn't like Christmas. It's not that I don't like Christmas, it's just that I don't like all the trappings, all the secularization of Christmas. Uh, go ahead, Brady, put that up. That, that's what I don't like. And in my mind, this is what Christmas has become in the United States of America and frankly around the world, even in non-Christian countries. And so I just, I'm not into it. Um, but there is one thing uh, about Christmas uh, that I've kind of been recaptured in my heart and in my soul over the past few years, and that's the Christmas lights. And uh, the Christmas lights are actually part of the Christmas story. We don't oftentimes think about Christmas lights being in the Christmas story. And so this year, I thought it would be fun uh, for us to really kind of re-examine the lights, the Christmas lights, and invite all of us into the wonder and the mystery of, of light and how this light comes into our lives and into the world, uh, especially during this season of Christmas. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time this morning as we have gathered together uh, to open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to, to hear some good news, uh, to be reminded, God, uh, that as Jeff said at the beginning of the service, uh, you are not surprised by anything that's going on today. And so, Lord, uh, encourage us, strengthen us, meet us, and challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, almost nine years ago, uh, when our family moved to uh, Bloomington Normal, uh, I was out for a run early in the morning. It was really early in the morning. It kind of looked like that. And I was kind of half awake, uh, out running. And uh, as I'm running along, and you know what it's like when you're in a new town, it's a little disorienting. You're not really sure where everything is. Uh, but I'm running along uh, on the sidewalk, kind of doing my thing, but kind of just trying to figure out what Bloomington is all about. And so as I'm running along, I look up ahead and I notice uh, that there are a couple squirrels frolicking uh, uh, next to, the, tr uh, next to the, the, the sidewalk that I'm on. And I'm thinking, well, the squirrels are up early this morning. They're playing. They're, they're running around. They're doing what squirrels do. 
But not only was I observing that these squirrels uh, are running around frolicking early in the morning, but they were kind of big squirrels. And I'm thinking, those are well-fed squirrels. And I'm new to Bloomington. I'm thinking, they must really feed the squirrels well in this town. And so as I'm getting closer and closer, these squirrels are frolicking and playing, and, and they're paying no attention to me. And as I'm getting closer to them, I'm thinking, they're not paying attention to me at all. I'm going to step on them. I'm going to startle them. So as I'm getting really close to the squirrels, I'm like, squirrels, move it. Runner coming through here. Come on. And as I get, they, they kind of scoot over just a little bit. And as I get right by them, I look back and I'm like, oh, the squirrels in Bloomington Normal have white stripes down their back. <laughs> have you ever felt like you dodged a bullet? I think on that morning, I dodged a bullet. It's one of those moments when you're like, oh my goodness. It was dark, and I couldn't see the danger before me. And so I just traded these squirrels like benign little animals that they were not. And I share that story with you this morning because I think we live in a world and a day and time where it's dark out there. There's a lot of evil, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of things that hurt and destroy those around us and even in our own lives. But because it's dark, I think we've grown dim. I think we don't always see the dangers around us. And that's really the context for the story of Jesus coming into the world. For 400 years, it had been silent. The prophets had not heard a voice from God. The people were crying out. The Israelites were crying out, God, are you even there? Do you even hear me? Do you even hear us? That's the context of John 1 for the ancients long, long ago. And I think that's our context still yet today. John 1 begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And it's interesting, I think, that John, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, he doesn't begin his story, his narrative of Jesus with Mary and Joseph. John does not begin his narrative about the prophet Isaiah speaking of the one who comes. John doesn't even begin his narrative about Jesus coming in the world with a genealogy going way, way, way back all the way to Adam and Eve. John says, I can do better than that. I want to back up to the beginning of time, to the creation, to the very moment when God spoke the world into existence. In the beginning was the Word. And John refers to Jesus as the Word, the Logos, who was with God in the very beginning. But then John shifts his language from talking about Jesus as being the logos or the word to something more. 
John 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So this morning, we're going to talk about what does it mean that Jesus, according to John, is the light come into the world For us to think a little bit about not just being the word who was with God at the very beginning, but he is actually the light. This morning, if you've got your Bibles and you like to take notes in the margins, uh, and I certainly want to encourage and invite you to do that, I want to share with you four ideas about the light of Jesus come into the world. And I'm just calling this Christmas lights in John 1, 1 through 9. So the first idea is that light represents the very presence of God. Light represents the very presence of God. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now normally when we think about light, we think about light bulbs, or light from the sky, or we think about the sun, We think about something that is physical, an animate object. But of course, what John is talking about here is something inanimate. This idea, this thought of light, so big, come into the person of Jesus. And it's not just the light of Jesus, but this idea of Jesus being the light. It goes back to the very beginning the Old Testament, Genesis 1.1. We think about when God was creating the world and he spoke the world into creation. He said, let there be light on the first day. And when God said, let there be light, it was as if God was speaking his very presence into the world. Because it says in Genesis 1.2, the world was, was void and formless. There was nothing there. It was dark. And God said, I'm going to make, I'm going to create. And so God said, let there be light. It's the very glory, the very presence of God. Not just like what we see, but the glory in the presence of God. Another story from the Old Testament comes from the Old Testament book of of Exodus. Remember Moses when he's out doing what Moses does? Taking care of sheep taking care of goats. He's just taking care of animals. And all of a sudden, he meets God, the light, the burning bush. Exodus 3, 4 says this, when the Lord saw Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the burning bush, Moses, Moses. Moses wasn't just having this encounter with with a burning bush. He was having an encounter with the living God, the very presence, the glory of God in this light, in this burning bush. And then God used Moses, of course, to rescue the Israelites, God's people out of Egypt. And there they are traveling through the wilderness. And Exodus describes this light leading them. Exodus 13, 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of a cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. And so God wasn't just leading them with a fire through the wilderness. 
It was the very presence of God. And I think so often we miss this really important idea that this light is God illuminating his very presence, his glory. And then I think about David, King David. And David wrote many of the Psalms, of course, and David would spend a lot of time out in nature with animals, and he would look up at the sky and the moon and and the sun, and he would be like, wow, this is amazing. In Psalm 19, David writes this, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky proclaims the work of his hands. David is looking around and saying, wherever there is light, that is where God is present, the very glory of God. And of course, this is what Jesus says in John, John 8, as he's trying to explain to his disciples who he is. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. We understand this idea of light. And you know, on the other hand, we're like, I don't really get it. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? I think he means it literally. I think he means that he is in the very presence of God because that's who God is. God is light. Fast forward to the book of Revelation. If we still haven't picked up on this theme of the very presence of God being light, John is having this vision of heaven. And this is what he sees in Revelation 21, 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. So in heaven, there's no sun or moon. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So Jesus Christ, God, they are the very light, the very presence, the very glory of God. From the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, we see, we read, we hear about this idea of light. And I think we move through it so fast that we oftentimes miss it, that light is actually the very presence of God in our lives. So why does this matter? I think it matters for a couple reasons. One is I think we go through our Christmas season, through our Advent season, and we're around all sorts of lights. And I think we just move right on by them. But I wonder if over the next 27 days until Christmas, what if every time you turned on the Christmas tree, you said a prayer? God, thank you for sending the light into the world. Tree on. Every time you light a candle in your house over the next 27 days, as you do that, think to yourself that that I'm not just lighting a candle, but I am inviting the very presence of God into my home. Candlelight. What if every time you go out and you see uh, lights around the neighborhood lit up, you thought to yourself, the light, the very presence of God has come to earth. Thank you, Jesus. What if we did that for the next 27 days? I think Christmas Eve would be a whole lot different for all of us as we gather in this place or wherever you gather on Christmas Eve to to light a candle. I think that candle would hold new meaning. You're not just lighting a candle and singing Silent Night, but I think you're proclaiming the very presence of God, the glory of God has come to us. 
I think that's why it matters. So light represents the very presence of God. Number two, darkness represents the absence of God. Darkness represents the absence of God. John 5 says it this way, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. I think those six words, the light shines in the darkness, summarize what Christmas is all about. The light has come into the darkness. Because the darkness is the place where God is absent. This is why God had to come into the world in the person of Jesus. Because the light, the very glory, the very presence of God needed to come to earth. And we live in a dark world still, don't we? We live in a world filled with brokenness of relationships. We live in a world filled with disease, hunger, violence. There's meanness all around, right? I mean, if there's ever a time where we just saw like the worst in human behavior, it's been over the last 18 months, two years. I mean, people are just mean and rude, and it's just like, ah. I I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, you know, I like dogs because people suck or something like that, you know? I'm like, I want one of those bumper stickers. It's just kind of the world in which we live, right? I mean, people are just so rude and mean, and like the worst has come out in us. I mean, we live, we continue to live in this dark, dark world. And I was thinking a little bit back, uh, I, I'm a, study, a student of, of history, and I was thinking about the, the dark ages in our world history, in our Western world history. And the Dark Ages uh, really was was kind of that season from about the year 500 A.D. uh, to 1300 A.D., give or take. And for hundreds of years, for about those 800 years, it was really characterized uh, just by a lot of horrible things going on in the world. And it kind of got started off with uh, the Roman Empire getting invaded and overrun uh, by the Germanic barbarians. And all of a sudden, the Roman Empire, which everybody's like, the Roman Empire can never fall. And the German, uh, Germanic barbarians are like, yeah, we're going to take you down. And they did. So things started to crumble. Things started to fall apart. A couple hundred years later, Jerusalem fell to the uh, Muslim invaders. And over and over and over, it seemed like things were falling apart economically. Things were tough. There was lots of disease. There were wars breaking out. It was chaos. The Dark Ages were a horrible time. And the church was like, this is awful. And so you know what happened during the Dark Ages with the church? They retreated into monasteries, into cloisters. They said, it's, it's dark out there. We're just going to hole up and we're going we're gonna to separate from the rest of the world. And so it was like the church even went underground for hundreds of years. And those who were left are kind of wandering around in the dark going, this is awful. This is horrible. We have no hope. It was a time in, in Western Europe, especially, where people just didn't have hope. Just today's awful and tomorrow's going to be worse. That was what the Dark Ages were all about. We know this because we continue to live in a time where there is lots and lots of darkness around us. You know, in the dark, bad things happen. 
I had a mentor pastor who used to uh, say to me, nothing good ever happens after midnight. So don't have sleepovers with your kids, right? Don't let your kids invite their friends over for sleepovers. Nothing good happens after midnight. If you're going to have kids and they're going to have you know, friends over, have them come over during the day. But you get a bunch of teenagers, especially boys in a room you know, at nighttime, just bad things are going to happen. You're excluded over there, Brady. I know things don't bad happen to you, right? But it's just true. We know this. Bad things happen when things are dark. Nefarious things happen when things are dark. I was looking at uh, some FBI statistics this week. The most heinous crimes happen between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. Most folks are arrested or pulled over for a DUI at 2 a.m. when it's dark out, right? I mean, these are just things we know. We shouldn't be out at night because there are just bad things that happen at night. And thieves know this. And under the clouds, under the shadows, under, you know, things that we just, we think, oh, it's not so bad. Like skunks running around. They're out at night. The predators are out at night. Bad things happen when it's dark. This afternoon, the sun's going to go down around 4.30, and it'll come up tomorrow morning around 7 a.m., which means there's a lot of darkness this time of year. We only have about nine and a half hours of daylight right now, and when we get closer to Christmas, January, uh, December 21st, that'll be the shortest day of the year. About nine hours is what we've got, so we'll be sitting in a lot of darkness. There's more and more darkness. There's even a, 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 a health condition called seasonal affective disorder. You heard of this? Sad seasonal affective disorder? And, it, you know, for some people, it's completely debilitating. And I think all of us experience it to some degree. And it's characterized by fatigue. You know, just the winter months, people are just tired. People get, you know, depressed. People get into a funk. People withdraw. They get away because there's just, there's just so much darkness. I mean, this is what darkness does to our bodies, to our moods, to our emotions. It just brings us down. You know what the cure, the, the, the uh, antidote or, or uh, what, what you do for SAD, for seasonal affective disorder? Light, right? You all need to go to Cancun for about two weeks, three weeks this winter staggered, right? Don't everybody leave at once, okay? But you need to get away. You need to be in the light. You know, sometimes people will sit in front of these light lamps or whatever, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fake light, right? Manufactured light. Maybe helps you a little bit. I don't know. I think you need to be at the beach. I'm going to the beach this winter. I'm going south for a couple weeks, it's not because I'm sick and tired of you. I need to be in the sun. I need to put my feet in the sand. I need to just bask in the sun. And you do too. Because the darkness brings this heaviness over us. This darkness represents the very absence of God. The light has come into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. I love that John goes there. He tells us about the darkness. He says, spoiler alert, the darkness 
has not overcome it. So in the very beginning of John's gospel, as he's getting ready to tell us, as he's telling us about the story of Jesus, he said, before I tell you the whole story, or frankly even tell you about Jesus calling the disciples, here's how the story ends. Jesus wins. That's what it means that the darkness has not overcome it. Now, normally, we don't like spoiler alerts, and we don't want to read the end of the story, but this is exactly what John does. He says, this is the story of Jesus, the logos, the word, the light of the world. But let me tell you before I get into the details, Jesus wins. It's all good. You can relax. It's going to be okay. And I think we can never remember or remind ourselves too much that no matter how dark it is out there in our own lives, in our community, in the world, Jesus wins. The darkness does not overcome the light. Jesus wins. And so a couple of years ago, uh, my wife, uh, my daughter, and I, uh, we decided uh, we're just going to take on the darkness. And so early in the evening when it starts to get dark, we get in our car and we will drive around and look at uh, lights around the community. Why don't you put a couple up there, Brady? Another one. And it's just, you know, you just, you go around and you see these houses in the community and it just encourages you with the light. You, You can't drive around for about an hour looking at Christmas lights and just reflecting on the glory and the very presence of God come to earth. You you go home and you feel better. You feel good. And I got to tell you, the last couple of years, and this year again, we will probably spend anywhere between 10 days and two weeks, 14 days in the evening. We'll just get in the car and we'll just drive around. We know every nook and cranny of Bloomington Normal. We know where the good lights are. We know where the gaudy lights are. Uh, We know where the no lights are. Because we just want to look at the light and be reminded of the light of God come to earth. And I want to invite you to consider what it might be like for you this year to welcome the light of God, the light of Christ this Christmas season. So the light represents the presence of God. Darkness represents the absence of God. Number three, God is the true light. John 1.9 says this, The true light that gives light to everyone uh, was coming into the world. And early on, as G- G- John is getting ready to tell us who Jesus is, he tells us that Jesus is the true light, which implies that there are false lights out there. And we know this, don't we? We even talk about this uh, in our lives of people searching for enlightenment. You ever heard that? People are looking for enlightenment. And people look for enlightenment in all sorts of different ways. Uh, Many years ago, my wife and I lived uh, in Southeast Asia. We lived in Thailand for about two and a half years. And we got to spend a lot of time uh, just observing the Buddhist monks uh, going around collecting alms. This is what we saw pretty much every single day in the community where we lived. Uh, These folks who were seeking enlightenment, looking for enlightenment, looking to experience the light. And in our two and a half years that we lived in Thailand, and we spoke to a lot of Buddhist monks, nobody ever said to me, I found the light. I've been enlightened. They continued to look for the light. 
They continue to be on this journey of looking for the light. And the reason why they were not enlightened is because they were looking for the wrong light. Jesus is the only true light. We even had, these are some Westerners, these, these bald guys here. We had people from the United States and Europe that would travel because they were seeking enlightenment. So we'd go and talk to them. Hey, how's it going? What are you doing here? Oh, we're just coming to seek enlightenment, studying Buddha and all that. Hey, did you find enlightenment yet? No, not yet. Because you're, you're looking in the wrong spot. Enlightenment is not found from within. Looking into ourselves, it's looking up to God. Having this conversation over and over. John says Jesus is the true light. The only ways in which we can be enlightened is to seek him, and then we'll find him. So light represents the very presence of God. Darkness represents the absence of God. God is the true light. And number four, last one, God's light is meant to be reflected. God's light is meant to be reflected. Back to John 1 here. There was a man from God whose name was John. Now, it's not John the writer of this. What he's talking about is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. And so as we think about the life of John the Baptist, it, he uses language like a, a witness to testify, which are actually legal terms. And, and what, what John is saying is that John the Baptist, he was like a reflection of the light. And so when I think about a reflection, I think of like a, a, a bike light or uh, you know, reflecting the light of cars or the moon reflecting the light of the sun. This was John the Baptist. This is what he did. He dedicated his whole life reflecting the light of Christ. And so what John says is before Jesus came on the stage, there was this guy, John the Baptist, and he had dedicated his life to reflecting the light, to bearing witness, to give testimony. And it's like there's a courtroom scene going on. And John is saying, let me tell you about God come to earth, the very glory of God, the light of God come to earth. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a witness. His name is John the Baptist, and he is here to testify today that Jesus is the Messiah, the only true one who is the source of God's light. John was a witness. And that, of course, is our role today. Like John the Baptist, we are called to bear witness. We're not the light. I'm not the light. You're not the light. God is the light. And we are called to bear witness, to be reflections of that light in this world. And I think that's the challenging part for all of us. Because I think especially during this season of Christmas, when there's all this gaudiness and extracurricular peripheral stuff mixed into the Christmas story, where's the true light? And so I'm going to close this morning by uh, sharing with you just a real short video uh, that uh, I ran across uh, 
uh, driving around this week looking at some Christmas lights, and I thought, you know what? This is like John the Baptist in our community, uh, making a witness, making a statement. So can we go ahead and run that video? around looking at Christmas lights we came across this house on Tawanda Barnes and Rave Road maybe you've seen it there are cars lined up stopped turn on your car radio dial into where it's at and for an hour long they've got you know more upbeat music they've also got some more I'll just say traditional Christmas music playing with the, the, the light show but I think the thing that touched me the most were there these three little girls sitting on the sidewalk, staring up at the light show. And I thought to myself, that is really cool. They've got their attention. They've got my attention. They figured out what it means to grab people's attention, to celebrate the light of the world come among us. Now, I wouldn't want to be their neighbors. <laughs> and if you go over and check it out, and I would encourage you to check it out, there's a lot of cars just hanging out parked there, and there's just people mesmerized by this light show. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to be reminded that somebody has stuck their neck out. They have invested time and money and resources to bear light, to show light. And I think that's what's going to take for you and for me, for us to stick our neck out there, to give up our resources, to give up our time. And when we do that, then the world will stop and pay notice and say, tell me about that. Tell me about that light in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed the light of the world. And God, we've heard this so much that I think we just pass right on by it. But God, this Christmas, this Advent season, may we be people who pay attention to the light, the light of Christ come into the world, the glory of God going into the darkest corners of our lives, our community in this world. God, like John the Baptist, like this light show, challenge us to bear witness, to reflect the light of Jesus Christ in this world, that others might see our lives 
and give glory to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.